everyone, and welcome to 7 Mile Chats, a podcast where each week I, Julia Struckley, talk with someone about a scripture verse of their choosing, and we look at that scripture from different angles. I'm a scripture teacher at a Catholic school, I've been a youth minister, and I have a master's in theology, but the purpose of this podcast is just to have a conversation about scripture and try to apply it to today's world. And today I'm walking and talking with someone I've met only virtually. We've both been presenters for liturgy training publications, Living the Sunday Word. And she's a former teacher. She's worked at parishes. It's Vicki Klima. Welcome, Vicki. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. It's uh, it's fun to do a podcast about scripture. I agree. That's what, This is why I'm doing it. Um, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself, Vicki? Well, um, I'm finally retired After a long career working for various places in the church, I've been a high school religion teacher. Uh, My longest stint was as the director of worship for the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis. And uh, my last about 14 years of working were as a parish administrator. So I've uh, I've kind of seen it all and uh, it's been fun. (laughs) Are you currently still in Minnesota? Yes, I live in St. Paul, and um, I I originally grew up in Wisconsin, but I moved here in uh, actually 1979. Now they're going to start getting an idea of how old I am. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) yeah, it's, um, it's home to me at this point. Nice. I still hear a little bit of the Wisconsin accent it's still, it's still in you. <laughs> we don't have an accent. <laughs> <laughs> Wisconsin. I love it. I, I'm originally from I'm originally from the Midwest and from Cleveland, so I can say that I've lived on the East Coast for probably, you know, half of my life at this point, but people still say that my accent, you know, they'll be like, Where are you from? It comes out every <laughs> once in a while. So I, I feel that. Um well thank you so much for being here today. I, I'm excited to I I think your background is similar to mine. We've both been in ministry, we've both been teachers. So I think that this conversation yes. will flow very nicely. Um so what I'm gonna have you do next is read the verse that you've chosen. You've chosen Jeremiah chapter twenty, verse nine. So whenever you're ready, I'll have you read that. Okay, thank you. I say to myself, I will not mention him. I will speak in his name no more. But then, it becomes like fire burning in my heart, imprisoned in my bones. I grow weary holding it in. I cannot endure it. Oh, I love the way you read that. I think the tone says so much. So we're definitely going to talk about, you know, all of all of that. Um, I just want to give a little background about Jeremiah and kind of where we're at in his sure. um, book. So we're obviously in the Old Testament prophetic section. Jeremiah is a major prophet, which just means he, he has like a bigger book in the prophetic section. It's during the Babylonian exile. So um, the people, Jude, Israel is split and the people of Judah are being taken into Babylon, especially important citizens. So Jeremiah is being called to be a prophet in the midst of all this turmoil. And I feel like especially how you read that, you can kind of sense the turmoil and the push and the pull that's going on within him. Um, my bo- my Bible didn't have any footnotes for this verse, but the heading for this chapter of chapter 20 is entitled Jeremiah's Interior Crisis. So I feel like that gives <laughs> yeah. us some context here. Um, but my first question for all of my guests is, why did you choose this passage, Vicki? Well, uh, it's kind of a, an interesting story. I was a, a lector and this was um, 
many, many years ago as I was just starting to um, really admit that I was a liturgist, that that was my calling, that was my passion. And I was working on a master's degree in liturgy at the University of St. Thomas in in St. Paul here uh, while I was working full time. So it was one of those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But at that time, there was a joke circulating that maybe you've heard and maybe you haven't. But many people thought it was hysterical. And this is the joke. What is the difference between a liturgist and a terrorist? Oh, man, I have not heard this. I don't know. What's the punchline? <laughs> you can negotiate with a terrorist. Oh, man. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Why don't you explain a little bit? Maybe people who don't know, the don't get the joke. What's yeah, What would you say is, the role of a liturgist is, like for people yeah. who don't, aren't familiar? Yeah, this was a time in the church when there was really a big divide Um between liberals and conservatives, and there were a lot of hurtful kinds of experiences on both sides. And uh, this was, it was far enough after the council that a lot of things were enacted, but um, there was really a pendulum that was going back and forth. And liturgists were being hired by parishes. Sometimes it was a combined job with liturgy and music, but they were... um, the people who were in charge of the liturgy were sometimes very rigid and they could be rigid on either side. They could be a rigid liberal or they could be a rigid Mm -hmm. conservative. And this was, everybody thought this was funny because they were having some parish fight about something or another. And uh, the parish liturgist was sticking to his or her ground and not being willing to be pastoral. And I was definitely, my mentors, uh, my teachers, I was being taught to be pastoral, to understand what's going on, to understand the rules, to understand what was important and not important, and not to choose things just because I wanted them or I liked them, but to choose what helps the community pray. That was the thing that we were trying to do. And so this was a funny joke to a lot of people, but not to me. I thought it was really sad. Um, People were having those bad experiences. And at that time as a lector, uh, uh, this reading came up and Uh, I I love the reading from Jeremiah's point of view, because he was really, he was ridiculed by a lot of people. He was not accepted, Mm -hmm. but, um, but he did it anyway, because God said, you've got to do this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but he was um, uh, rejected. He had death threats. Uh, He was thrown in a well one time and sunk in the mud Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of bad things happened to him. So that's how I was feeling that I, first of all, I didn't want to be tarnished with this brush that said all liturgists are, are terrorists or are horrible people. And I, I wanted to be able to prove myself that if I thought something needed to be changed, I would have a reason. Mm 
for it. And I, I think I, I think I was able to do that. Um, but I, you know, I, it's just, I can't hold back what I do know about liturgy and what I feel mm. about it. And, and really, like I said, it's a passion. Um, so I, I try maybe not to get in the middle of a, of a problem or, or anything, but I try to be pastoral, but sometimes you just grow weary holding it in. You cannot endure it. It's in my bones. Liturgy is in my bones and I have to express it. That's beautiful. And I mean, this passage really is very beautiful. I'm looking at um, a couple of verses ahead. <laughs> Verse seven from chapter 20 is kind of one of my favorites. I, to share a little bit myself, I've said this on the podcast before, but I, I discerned religious life. So I was a postulant for the daughters of St. Paul oh, for a year. Okay. And so this is part, this, um, Verse seven, I feel like is in liturgy of the the hours and every yeah. night I would, and I was not having a great time in the comment. It was not my vocation, but um, you know, I read this and I'm like, you duped me. Oh Lord. And I let myself be duped. You were too <laughs> yeah. strong and you triumphed. You know, it's kind of very, I just, I feel that not just about the convent, but just many times in my life. I just, I feel that. And then it goes on, you know, he, like what you were describing, you were mentioning like there, you have this fire burning inside of you. So like, he's kind of, having this crisis he's like like you mentioned people aren't listening to him they don't like that like him they don't want to hear what he has to say but and he, he kind of is having this conflict within himself he's like i i don't want to speak about it anymore but i have to like i don't want to speak about god but i have to it's burning within me so i think that's really beautiful i don't know um what else would you like to say about kind of like do you do you know much about the historical kind of piece of this or have you done any like research on, um, on this passage at all? Well, I, I, I don't consider myself a scripture scholar, but I did I did have a few uh, footnotes and things like that. About I love a footnote. Passage. I love it. Let's do yeah, it. I, I love know, a footnote. Me too. Let's do it. <laughs> I like the um, annotated Bible. You know, give me as much background as you can. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, the fun part about Jeremiah is he really tried not to answer the call. He, he said, uh, wait a minute, I, I'm not, uh, I don't have what it takes. Uh, don't, don't do that. I do not know how to speak. I am too young mm -hmm. as to God. Mm -hmm. And God touches his mouth and said, see, I place my words in your mouth. And he does go on to be really a great prophet, as you said, one of the, one of the major prophets mm -hmm. from the Old Testament. And of course, he is vindicated also because everything he predicted came true mm -hmm. with the destruction of the temple and this Babylonian exile and the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then the, the second half of the book, there is a, a, a marked change because then he starts being the prophet of hope mm -hmm. and he preaches a very different message of, of hope to people. But... Um, I still, this, what I like about this is you can't be in ministry without being discouraged sometimes. Mm -hmm. And to think about a great prophet, Jeremiah, God is speaking through him. He knows it's kind of like God is calling him up on the phone. I mean, he knows what mm -hmm. God is, wants him to say, but he felt this way. And so it makes me feel better when I feel that way, mm -hmm. when I think, Oh, how come, how come this isn't going better? How come, uh, you know, it isn't going the way I think it should, but I'm not going to give 
up. Jeremiah didn't give up, even though he was ridiculed and everything else. And I hope I never give up. So far, so good. <laughs> I know. I would love to hear more. Um, I think you know, the idea of a liturgist maybe isn't, I think, you know, we obviously as Catholics, we go to mass and we can see maybe some liturgy that we connect with and maybe sometimes maybe liturgy that we don't necessarily agree with or like. Um, as a liturgist, I don't know, what advice do you have for us when we do maybe connect or not connect with liturgy? I'm kind of fascinated. We're taking kind of away from the verse at this point, but I'm, I feel like in my own personal experience at mass, like there's definitely those moments where I'm just like, okay, why is the priest doing it like this? Or like, you know, why, why is the choir doing it like this? Like, I don't know, do you have any advice or like things like, or experience to, to help us in those moments? Well, I, I don't know if it'll help or not, but what <laughs> my, my stance has been that the mass, even though it might seem to drag it sometimes, it really goes pretty fast. And there are mm-hmm. a lot of words. And so my premise is that you take the parts of the mass and you think about them in your private prayer so that you get a better understanding of what's going on and maybe even find out, uh, you know, what is the meaning supposed to be? What does the church say about this? And to be able to bring that knowledge and that extra thought, I mean, um, going through the glory to God and thinking about what do these words mean? Uh, why do we sing it the way we sing it? Um, and if I, if I pray it like that at home, I may get some insights that come to me when I'm at mass. Now, the problem when somebody's doing something, um, what word should I use? I'm going to use the word stupid. When <laughs> a presider or a musician or anybody else does something stupid, you you just have to take it with a grain of salt. They, I, I don't know why they decided to do that, mm-hmm. but that's why you really have to be careful. And that's the other part of what used to make me mad about that joke is that to be given the privilege mm-hmm. of being the one who is the preparer of the liturgy, that's a huge responsibility. And you can't just be willy-nilly about what you let happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and I know, and priests do it, um, liturgists mm-hmm. do it, but I think that I was very influenced in the my early time by a book, Austin Fleming was the name of the author. And he said, you don't plan liturgies. Technically, they're already planned. We've got the liturgical year, the lectionary, the Roman Missal. What you do is prepare for them. But there's two sides of the preparation. You're preparing the liturgy for the people. That's the one we always think about it. But you're also preparing the people for the liturgy. Mm -hmm. I think that every parish has a responsibility to do education about the liturgy and to do that looking at what each of the pieces mean, what each of the words mean, and why do we do the ritual the way we do it? What does it mean? 
Uh, I totally agree. I, I feel like I could do a whole, <laughs> this is, yeah, I want to get back to the scripture, but I also just want to say, I think that is so important. I, I resonate with so much um, with what you're saying. I, I'm a blogger as well. I write some articles for some some Catholic websites and I've been meditating and, and writ, wrote recently um, about kind of the universality, like the little C Catholic yeah. kind of being lost a little bit because I feel like people are inserting personal preference rather than what you're describing yes. about like taking in the community as a whole, what's best, how do I best prepare the community or, or contribute to the community? We kind of like want our own personal preference, whether we're the the presider or the liturgist or the person in the congregation. I feel like, I don't know, I could get into a whole thing about that, but a lot of what you're saying is resonating. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Uh, And I feel the same way. Yes. But, um, but so thank you for sharing. I feel like, you know, we're not alone. I think there's probably a lot of listeners out there that, that, you know, appreciate what you're saying, but I don't want to get too far away from the verse. So you described a little bit about how you connected with this verse um, we talked a little bit about kind of maybe what's going on for Jeremiah at this time. How do you think other people might be able to connect with this verse? Well, as I was doing a little bit of research, I, I came across um, a homily that somebody had written on this scripture. And uh, I thought there were some very good points that I'd like to steal at this point. But anyway, <laughs> sure. I think it's the it's the point that all of us are called by God to something. And just like Jeremiah kind of gave excuses, um, I think we give excuses. You know, I I don't know enough. I'm not educated enough. Uh, I don't have the time. I think that's a big one. Um, I don't have the energy. Um, there are more qualified people. Ask somebody else. And then maybe the biggest thing, um, fear. Fear to say yes, fear to st- step forward. And I think that's that's what this passage reminds me, or the whole you know, book of Jeremiah actually reminds me that we do have a call. We need to listen for it and then answer yes. And we can answer a, a, you know, a little bitty yes if we, if we have to. God will help us. God will give us the strength that we need. God will give us what we need to do, whatever it is that God is calling us to do. There's another passage early in Jeremiah. He says, where God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew mm-hmm. you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Mm-hmm. So, that's what I think it says to us today. God continues to issue, issue calls. It's not something that stopped after Jesus died, you know, and mm-hmm. rose from the dead. It's not something that's over. Uh, we still get called and we need to answer yes and see where that leads. Mm-hmm. I think you said so many good things there. Um, I mentioned, you know, I did discern religious life and going through that discernment process was huge. Like, even though I, maybe that calling was not for me. I do feel like that moment, you know, prepared me and got me to know myself better. And so, you know, I think we don't realize that even maybe the mistakes or the failures or the perceived failures, they may may not actually be failures. Like I don't consider that a failure. Like they, they still are part of the call. You know, I do feel like I was, I was called to that moment, even if I wasn't called to that vocation. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, and, yes, um, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we probably can all agree with that. Yeah. Because every experience uh, gets added up together to mm-hmm. help us with future experiences so that uh, we can think we're hearing a call and then it takes a, you know, a, a, a left turn to something very different than we originally thought. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that today's um, young people, let me start over. In my <laughs> parents' time, you had one career and it mm-hmm. was really weird to have more than one. Mm-hmm. In my time, I had about four different careers, but they were all in the church, so they were all connected together. But I think young people today don't don't think about that. There's not a problem with with changing direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the same thing can happen because you're not the same person at 20 that you are at 40, that you are at mm-hmm. 60. You mm-hmm. change. The world changes. And the call of God, the specifics of it, are definitely going to change over time too. Mm-hmm. And I like how you said though you we brought up um, earlier in Jeremiah, but to still trust, like when we're talking about trusting in God and trusting where He's calling us and leading us, to know that like innately though He did form us in a certain way, and that's always in mind. So even though we do change and we grow and we have conversion, and that's all good, um, we still fundamentally are like who He created us to be, and so He's never yeah. going to take us anywhere that's not part of who fundamentally we are as his creation, you know? And yeah. Anyways, I don't know if you wanted to respond to that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, just to agree uh, Mm -hmm. because we, well, they, they, you know, everybody says God isn't going to make you do something that you wouldn't be able to do. Well, I, I mean, I had that fear. uh, I was a grade school Catholic. And of course I thought that meant like you, you had to discern that meant I had to be a nun, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you find out that 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 doesn't mean a, a particular pathway is is the only pathway. I mean, I think that's right. the other thing: not to be so afraid that you might get it wrong, mm-hmm. because God will help with that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you think, "Oh, I really believe this is what God wants," and then you you change careers or your move or you do something and you say, wow, that wasn't right. Uh, Mm -hmm. God can still do something with that. Mm -hmm. And with the fact that you said yes, and can, I think, steer us back to the, the path we were meant to be on. Mm -hmm. So it's, but it, it can be scary. I'm not, uh, I'm looking back now, you know, at a, at a higher age, and I can see, I can see where God was leading and calling, and um, mm-hmm. and it's it's very interesting when I when I moved here to the Twin Cities, uh, you know, who I met and <laughs> where I was at. It could have happened very very differently, but I see hand, the hand of God in it. Mm-hmm. And I think about all the times, you know, we're relating it back to Jeremiah, like that he would he wanted to say no or he did not want to do it, but he did say yes and he did fail and he did get hurt and he did, you know, but but then ultimately then there's that shift you mentioned later in Jeremiah where he becomes this beacon of hope. And and so that's what we hope for as well, that we say yes <laughs> to these things, even if we fail, they could eventually and they should eventually, um, if we're following God, like build and and bring about hope. So um, I love 
I love all of this. And I love the line too about you mentioned like burning, you know, you had to do liturgy because it was burning within you. And, and I think God is always using that. Like that's what's created in our womb, right? That like those burning right. passions that we have and he just kind of directs us and pulls them out of us. But we constantly just like, I don't know, we listen to those. <laughs> he helps us to follow those passions, you know? Yes. Yes. Cause if, God isn't going to call us to something we're completely uninterested in doing. Right. (laughs) Right. I mean, I don't think so. Uh, But from a young age, uh, well, my mother was the organist and my father was a choir director. You know, I just, I, it was kind of a given that I was going to be (laughs) involved (laughs) in liturgy. I don't know. It just, uh, it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Although now that I think about it, my it didn't happen to my brothers, so I don't know. Maybe right, <laughs> it's a bigger thing going on. The Holy Spirit is bigger than all of this. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, what else would you like to say about this this passage, Vicky? Well, I like I, I thank you for bringing up the the beginning of it because this was it was a little bit difficult to the scripture when I was the lector was that whole piece. Uh, this is the this is the end of it, but it starts with that you duped me, Lord, and I let I myself. I love it. I feel like duped. I say it all the time. Like anytime I get into something, I, you know, said yes to. Though we talk about those moments that you say yes, and it like it wasn't what you wanted, but then it, you know he's going to use it. But like it's like you duped me, Lord. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did I get into this? Right. Um, exactly. But I think that that uh, to read this whole thing in context, I would I would recommend that to to the listeners to see the the whole thing. But I I, I guess I'm not sure if I have another new insight. Just that search out your passions, search out your passions. I would say, because that is where God is speaking. I believe that, um, and I think we live a very not a not as strong a life as we could be living if we ignore those kind of things and if we think they're not necessary or not part of us they are they are inside of us and they are our future amen do you have any quick advice about maybe how we can listen or like try to tap into those passions like do you have any advice for like feeding the flame. <laughs> well, so uh, yes. As much as I'm a, a, a liturgy person and uh, in favor of communal prayer, I also think we we have to be people of private prayer. We have to be people who spend at least a little bit of time listening to God and just opening our our minds, opening our hearts. And reflecting on what's going on around us, what are people saying to us? What are our experiences? We have dozens of experiences every day, and they can just go they can just go flying by if we don't take a little bit of time to just think about them a little bit. Journal if that's what works for you, but to, to think and to see oh, this keeps happening. This keep, mm-hmm. the, I keep hearing this word. I keep seeing this phrase or this kind of vision. So I, I think they have to work together, the communal prayer and the private prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I wish I could say it was easier than that, but I think that's, if God is speaking, we've got to be listening. 
I know. And it is much easier said than done. I know for my students, you know, we read these scripture passages and they're like, oh, man, I wish I could get a sign like Noah or get a sign like a burning bush like Moses, you know. And I kind of tell them like we we do. God still gives us signs, but maybe, you know, maybe not like a burning bush, but maybe we're not listening maybe to the messages people are, are, you know, he's speaking through other people or maybe not taking that time in prayer to listen. Like he is still speaking and he does give us signs. We just maybe aren't always in tune to them because our lives are so busy. Right. That's that busyness again. That is yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) uh, Well, and it, it, it just gets worse with devices and social media Mm -hmm. and everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. People need that quiet. Yep. I know I do an activity with my students when we do the burning bush, like when we talk about it. Um, I do kind of after we do the story, I turn out the lights and I just light a candle and we like talk about wow. after the exercise, like, you know, where we see God's presence in the church with light, you know, and yeah. they're like, oh, the tabernacle or oh, the Paschal candle and um, and then I just light a candle and we just kind of sit for like two minutes and just kind mm, of, nice. you know, some of them, some of them like you know, probably don't do anything with that time. But I always find afterwards they're like, I'm like, did you like that? Or was that hard? And they're like, no, we liked it. We wish you could do it longer. So it's so interesting how they're thirsting for it. They just maybe don't know how to do it. You know? Yeah. I I used to do that with some of my students too. just give them some quiet time with some interesting music. And I have them meditate on something or do some writing and uh, I never felt like that was was wasted. I right. I felt like that did something interior that mm-hmm. maybe they took it with them as they left. I don't know, but I hope so. I know and I, we need to wrap up, but I just want to say we you mentioned earlier, like kind of like that pendulum, like swinging from one way to the other. And I, I grew up, um, I'm a child of the eighties. So that kind of ages me. Um, but <laughs> I grew up in a time where we did have lots of like the prayer time and the kind of music. And then now the trend more is to like catechize, catechize, catechize. Right. And so I, I feel that pressure to like constantly be filling the time with like, you know, catechism and scripture and lessons and, you know, but then, like you said, sometimes that, that time is not wasted. If you give them just some time right. to relax, <laughs> their lives yeah. are so busy. It's not yeah. wasted, you know, so. The word is balance. Balance. Yes. We need to have yep. balance in, in everything. Yep. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's time for us to wrap up. At the end, I I give people a chance to plug anything. I don't know if there's any websites or books or anything you want us to check out. Or... <laughs> well, uh, it's been a long time coming. Um, I actually, during the pandemic, I did write a book about Yay! liturgy. That's and, awesome. Uh, it's been held up uh, in the copyright place because I quote mm-hmm. The lectionary and the Roman Missal quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a a little bit of a break in the in the clouds that say it might be coming out fairly soon. But <laughs> awesome, that's great. Anyway, uh, I'll e- I'll email you if it ever if it ever hits the screen. <laughs> but uh, the, the kind of thing that I was talking about with looking at looking at the liturgy in your private prayer that's that's the what the book is about. That's awesome. I would love to check that out myself and then definitely point people towards that. So do you have any idea? You have no idea where when it might be. 
coming out at this um, point? Not, no, it, it's being okay. published by GIA Publications, which oh, is great. a little weird because they're the music company. Right. But they, uh, <laughs> they bought World Library, and it's kind of through that that I got in touch with them and et cetera, et cetera, not to, make a, not to make a long story even longer. But, no, no, um, no. That's great. Anyway, so we're waiting for the copyright permission. Then it's a, then it's a thing. Do you have a title for it? It's called Participation of the Heart. Ooh, I like that. That's great. So you all can check out Vicky's book when it comes out, <laughs> Participation Participation of the Heart, and through GIA, you mentioned, so yes. GIA publishers. <laughs> so thanks. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, absolutely. No, we want to plug it. We want, Especially, I think that sounds like a fascinating, given everything we've talked about, it sounds like definitely something we should check out. Um, if you all would like to follow me on Instagram, I post about my guests and I post about scripture, and you can contact me on Instagram. It's at 7 Mile Chats, all spelled out. I'd love to hear from you. You can also find me on Twitter at Struckley one I tweet about um, my classroom and what we're doing in Catholic education there. So you can follow me there at Struckley one M-S-S-T-R-U-K-E-L-Y-1. Again, I'd love a follow or a like or a message. Um, but Vicki, thanks again for, for doing this. Thank you so much for asking. It was fun. It was good. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Good. Bye, everyone. <laughs>